welcome to this week's Insights podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Don Mills. Well, Don, we had a very interesting discussion this week with the CEO of Efficiency One, the energy efficiency uh, utility in Nova Scotia, and now, as you'll hear, is, is branching out into export markets, exporting their services. So I think the listeners will get a very good understanding after listening to this conversation about the role energy efficiency is going to play to help us get to net zero by 2050, but also how it helps to reduce energy costs and energy use for households and businesses across Nova Scotia. Yeah, and this is a story that I'm quite familiar with. Uh, Stephen in in Efficiency uh, One um, had been and still is a a client of uh, my my former company and now Narrative Research. Uh, One of the things I've always been impressed with the organization is that they use uh, data extremely well. They do, you know, research to understand the marketplace, and then they respond to those uh, those findings. I'm also impressed that they they actually have to undertake a very serious uh, audit to prove their claims that they're doing what they're saying they're doing. So they're held to a very high account through the utility review board, and you know, uh, people can have confidence. Uh, that the work that they're doing is having an impact. And of course, we had a chance to talk about that impact in the podcast. I think people will really get a much better understanding of the work that's being done to deal with what we call demand side uh, management of energy. Yeah, that's right. And he tells us that uh, Nova Scotia homes and businesses and organizations are saving about $1.5 billion a year from the efficiency work that's been done since the organization was founded. Um, That's a big number. And as you say, for those that are skeptical, that has to be run through the Energy Utility Board uh, and it's audited. So it's audited by a third party accounting firm or agency that actually looks at that. So I I would suggest that's a pretty hard number given the robust uh, process that they have to go through. Well, the high standard of proving that you that you're actually doing what you're saying is not something that happens a lot <laughs> these days, you know. And and so, got to give them credit for uh, for delivering on the plan. And uh, you know, I just think that you know the work that they're doing uh, has reduced the need to build uh, capacity for en- energy generation before it's actually needed. We also talked to Stephen about you know obviously the need to, to grow the energy um, uh, availability with the electrification of the economy, especially the transportation sector, you know, for sure, we're going to have to spend more to get more generation capacity uh, right across the world. And uh, Nova Scotia is not excluded from that. But what they are doing is kind of keeping the cost as low as possible in the meantime, and also reducing you know, the overall energy demand, um, uh, even though the demand will have to go up. Yeah, that's right. So that that cost of that increased generation is more expensive per kilowatt hour than the cost of uh, energy efficiency. So that's why I asked him as, from the perspective of, of an economist, why, why, do, why we don't even do even more of this or push this even harder. Because in theory, you know, if, if, if there are savings and economic benefits to the businesses, but also to the grid itself and to the actual uh, um, production of electricity, you know, maybe we should even be putting the pedal to the metal and, and doing even more. But it is important to point out they deal with thousands of customers uh, every year all across the province. 
He also mentioned something else that I think is worth uh, noting. He said that uh, you know, twenty-five percent of the work to reduce uh, um, carbon emission can be attributed uh, to the work that they're doing. Twenty-five percent—it's a—it's a significant number. It makes a big difference. It's one of the reasons why um, Nova Scotia is actually, uh, you know, well ahead of its uh, targets to meet uh, net zero, um, and they're making a contribution to that. And I, and I would say this for uh, people listening in other provinces: is that I think that Efficiency One is the model for the other three Atlantic provinces. You know, each of them are doing some form of energy conservation work, but not at the level not at the level of sophistication and not at the impact uh, that uh, efficiency one is. So we have a great regional model that we should emulate in each of the other three provinces. You might have a different point of view living in New Brunswick, but that's my, 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 my observation. No, I, I think I like the fact that they're agnostic. So when, when it's just an electricity utility or a natural gas provider or some other sector of the economy that's working on these things, they all have a very narrow focus around their issue, whereas with Efficiency One, they are not specific to any one source of, elect of energy. Uh, they are cutting across. So I think that it is a pretty good model, and the regulatory approach, I think, is good, too, because it builds rigor in. Uh, so I, I don't disagree with you uh, uh, with your uh, recommendation that the rest of the country take up the Efficiency One model. And on that note, uh, let's, uh, let's listen to our conversation uh, with Stephen. Stephen, welcome to the Insights Podcast. Uh, before we get into uh, the background of Efficiency One, we'd like to find out how you became CEO of Efficiency uh, and uh, maybe a little bit about your background career path uh, to your current role. Well, I grew up in uh, rural Nova Scotia, a small community in Pictou County called Ponds, or the Ponds, as the locals uh, like to refer to it as, so a population of less than 100, so a pretty small community. A few more uh, people, residents in the summertime when um, they're at their cottages. I'm an accountant uh, by education and, and profession. And so at the time, it would have been a CA and now a CPA. I spent the first part of my career what, with um, what was then known as Don Raymond and is now better known as Grant Thornton. And although I really enjoyed my time with the firm and learned a lot, and I used the skills that I learned today, I would say that auditing really wasn't for me. And um, you know, there are many people that start off in the accounting profession that choose to go another route after completing their CA. And I would say to any young person in that profession, that one of the benefits is that regardless of what you ultimately do, you'll never regret or lose the skills that you learned. And so after that, I moved to the gambling industry and I worked hmm. uh, really closely with Atlantic Lotteries and the casinos in Nova Scotia. And after about a dozen years of doing that, I was ready for a change. Um, a recruiter approached me about a CEO opportunity with a brand new organization at the time that was starting up called Efficiency Nova Scotia. And um, interestingly, I was not successful in getting the CEO role, but a few members of the board of directors approached me and said, look, you know, we were impressed with you, what you had to say, your vision for the organization, and we'll soon be hiring a chief operating officer. Uh, now, look, at the time, my mindset um, was that I wasn't really interested in, you know, what I was thinking, the silver medal, if you will. But after talking to a few people, uh, including and especially my wife, and doing some research, I joined as chief operating officer. And then a few year, years later, in around 2015, moved into the um, CEO role. So that's how I came to, to get to where I am today. 
So we have listeners from across Atlantic Canada and beyond. So we'd like you to give us an overview of Efficiency One. When when was it started, and uh, what's its mandate? So Efficiency One's purpose is to transform the way that people use energy. Uh, we're a nonprofit organization, but we're not a charity, and most of our work is done under the brand that many Nova Scotians know us better by, Efficiency Nova Scotia. So Efficiency Nova Scotia, it's an all fuels or one window energy efficiency administrator. So we have programs and services to um, uh, help Nova Scotians make energy efficiency upgrades and improvements. Um, Our um, intentions are to try and motivate Nova Scotians to make changes. And so these programs help people use energy more efficiently So examples are things like insulating buildings, using more efficient lighting technology. We also have programs to shift when energy is used. So if you think about electricity systems, they have peak load periods. So a cold February day in the morning when everyone's getting up and showering and making breakfast and doing some laundry, it costs a lot to produce electricity at those peak periods. So shifting energy use to non-peak times can save the system and ultimately customers money. And we also have programs to use different types of energy. And so uh, sometimes we call this uh, fuel switching uh, or moving to lower emitting fuel sources. So examples including selling a heat pump or rooftop solar uh, PV in an oil heated home. Uh, One of the, you know, I think one of the really unique features of the efficiency Nova Scotia model I mentioned is that it's a one window approach for customers. We really try to have programs and services for all segments. So when I talk about segments, I mean residential, commercial, industrial, institutional, and nonprofits, and all fuel sources. Um, What that means in a practical sense is convenience and less friction for customers. So customers don't need to worry about figuring out out how to enroll in our programs or which program is right for them. They just need to contact us. And um, what we're seeing lately is more efficiency programs being offered by the federal government on a national basis. But we're seeing benefits of our model uh, because we're able to integrate those new offerings and minimize administrative costs. So again, even federal programs are being offered. We can integrate them with the efficiency Nova Scotia offerings. So again, the customer just needs to call us and we can access the federal program and get their upgrades done much, much uh, quicker. Um, And at the end of the day, this is all public or ratepayer money. So it's uh, really critical that we keep a close eye on costs. Um, in addition to Efficiency Nova Scotia, Efficiency One has a couple of other initiatives. And so one is something called the Halifax Climate Investment Innovation and Impact Fund, or HCI3. And so what HCI3 does, it supports uh, carbon reduction initiatives in the Halifax region. It's part of something called Low Carbon Cities Canada. It's one of seven centers across the country, the others being in Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, Ottawa, and Montreal. Um, and these centers invest in local projects in urban environments. And um, really we're trying to fill gaps in cities. And so if Efficiency Nova Scotia has funding or a program uh, for energy efficiency upgrades in the city of Halifax, HCI3 uh, may not put its focus on those projects. It may look at gaps are in the marketplace. And the third activity that Efficiency One has is something called Efficiency One Services. And so that's a company we set up a few years ago to essentially export our expertise. And so the three to four years before the pandemic, um, it saw several jurisdictions reaching out to us for help and advice. Um, We'd been around for about that time, maybe seven years or so. So we set up a separate company uh, to ring fence this activity from our Efficiency Nova Scotia work 
and ensure that no public dollars are being used to fund activities outside of Nova Scotia. So the work we do through Efficiency One Services, it's, um, it's consulting and advisory services. Um, so think of governments, utilities, and private sector clients. We've um, done some work for the government of Alberta, Efficiency PEI in Brunswick Power, Natural Resource Canada, the Caribbean Development Bank, um, the Petroleum Corporation of Jamaica, and uh, the government of um, Trinidad and Tobago. So uh, mostly consulting type assignments. Or in the long term, though, I do see us uh, moving into program administration, much like we do here in Nova Scotia and other jurisdictions. So. Okay, th- thanks, Stephen. I, we just wanted some clarity around the difference between Efficiency One and Efficiency Nova Scotia. But what you're saying now is that, if I got that straight, is that you have Efficiency One and then you have those three divisions under Efficiency One. One is Efficiency Nova Scotia, one is this HCI3 initiative and the uh, Efficiency One uh, Services Division. Is that correct? That's correct. You've been um, in this uh, business for a while. Uh, we want to ask why energy efficiency uh, is an important public uh, policy objective. Well, it's an important uh, public policy objective for several reasons. And so the first, if you think about the electricity system, and um, there, there is something in our jurisdiction, in our legislation called the efficiency first principle. So in our context, the electricity utility, Nova Scotia Power, it's legally required by legislation to purchase cost-effective and reasonably available energy efficiency in an effort to reduce costs for its customers. So what I just said there is straight from legislation. So what this means is that the utility should invest in energy efficiency before considering investments in infrastructure. And so the concept being that investments in efficiency avoid the need for higher cost investments in generation and transmission distribution. So the key concepts here, again, are cost-effective and reduce costs for customers. So the public, or in this case, ratepayer monies, can only be used to invest in energy efficiency if it results in an overall cost reduction or financial benefit for customers. I guess the simplest way to put this is that um, investments in energy efficiency, they, it lowers bills for customers in the short term because they're using less energy and they're saving on their energy bill. But in the long term, investments in energy efficiency avoid the need for higher cost investments in the electricity system that ultimately have to be have to be recovered from ratepayers. Um, just to have some further context, our most recent demand side management plan or energy efficiency plan that we received approval for calls for an investment of 173 million over three years, and so that plan will avoid more than 550 million dollars in electricity system costs and have a payback period of three to four years. So from the electricity system perspective and from a public policy objective, it, it's incredibly cost-effective and avoids costs for ratepayers. In the case of investments in energy efficiency outside of the electricity system, by either the province or the federal government, energy efficiency can meet several policy objectives. Um, it can help alleviate poverty. So depending on the price of energy, um, I've seen estimates recently that as many as 40% of Nova Scotians experience some form of energy poverty. Uh, low-income homeowners, renters, nonprofit organizations, so think of shelters, um, other disadvantaged groups, they all benefit by easing the burden of rising energy prices through energy efficiency. Um, energy efficiency can accelerate the transition to net zero, um, especially if there are unique circumstances, uh, such as the high percentage of homes in Nova Scotia and Atlantic Canada, that use oil for heating. Um, energy efficiency can spur economic activity and innovation. 
We work with over 300 partners that employ uh, 2,600 people directly. And I have to say, there's some really interesting companies that are innovating in this space. A company in New Brunswick, uh, Simtech, is doing some amazing work on virtual or touchless audits that um, we're quite excited about. And you know, finally, from a public policy perspective, energy efficiency can lead to better health outcomes. And so there's numerous studies on this. Um, uh, retrofits to buildings, uh, they create uh, conditions that support you know, better occupant health and well-being, particularly around amongst vulnerable groups. So the air quality is better. Um, in some cases, uh, the lighting is better, particularly in manufacturing environments. And so there's lots of uh, uh, benefits energy efficiency that don't necessarily show up in a spreadsheet, if you will. So I think it's critically important from a public policy perspective. Yeah, you've done a good job of answering the question that I was going to ask next. You know, how does the taxpayer benefit from your work? But I think you've answered that well. Uh, you define yourselves as, uh, yourself as a as Canada's first energy efficiency utility. What exactly does that mean, Stephen? Yeah, so public utilities, by their nature, uh, they're meant to supply goods and services or infrastructure that is considered essential. And so I'm not, um, you know, sharing some news with both of you that you don't know. Um, in general, they're a monopoly, uh, so there's an absence of competition or minimal benefits to be gained from competition, and therefore they're subject to some form of regulation and control. So in our case, uh, our electricity or demand-side management activity, it's deemed to be a public utility in law and subject to oversight by the Nova Scotia Utility and Review Board, just right. like our water utilities and our electricity utilities. We're subject to the same regulatory oversight. In a practical sense, what this means is that we make applications to the Utility Review Board for demand-side management plans. So they're very similar to uh, what electricity utility might uh, or water utility might make uh, an application to the Utility Review Board for a rate application. We go through full regulatory hearings. We file quarterly reports on the performance of our programs and our spending, and we're subject to um, third-party evaluation of our savings. Um, this might seem like a lot of work, uh, but I have to say there's a number of benefits to being a public utility. And, and the first is it really encourages stakeholder engagement. And so regulators, and particularly the um, Utility Review Board here in Nova Scotia, uh, they really encourage consultation and engagement with stakeholders before and during a filing. Uh, so our most recent demand-side management plan that I mentioned, um, we started consulting with stakeholders about a year before we even filed it. And so during that period, we made it really clear to that stakeholder feedback would be considered. We made it clear how we considered stakeholder feedback in our plans that we ultimately filed. We tried to be really, really transparent. And ultimately, we filed a plan that had no surprises for stakeholders. And uh, the result was that this plan was supported by most interveners and no interveners in the process specifically opposed the plan. We were really pleased with the outcome. Um, but the regulation, regulatory oversight, you know, in my view, it also makes our programs and services better. And so independent oversight um, and scrutiny by the Utility Review Board has caused us to be better as an organization. It's caused us to be more efficient. And ultimately, in my view, it provides more uh, value to customers. And the final point I'll make on this is that um, it gives confidence in the savings. So decisions are being made not to make investments in electricity system infrastructure because of energy efficiency savings. And so the people that are making and approving electricity system capital plans, they need to know that the savings are real and they're permanent. And so there's independent evaluation and verifications of savings, 
which are reviewed and scrutinized by the regulator, and it provides this confidence. So I think there's a lot of benefits to being a public utility. Yeah, could Steve? you just clarify one thing uh, before I let my colleague uh, in on the conversation? Um, right now, ratepayers are funding uh, your work through uh, their bills at Nova Scotia Powers. That's right, right? Part of our work, about 40% of it. Okay, so uh, what are the sources of your funding beyond that? I thought it all came through ratepayers. Yeah, it, um, the ratepayer funding or electricity demand-side management is probably the, the work that we're most well-known from, in part, I think, because of the public nature of it. But uh, we also receive funding from both the provincial government and federal government. That's primarily to um, uh, think of uh, reduction of oil usage in homes and businesses. And we also um, have some activity through our Efficiency One services, or so out-of-province revenue. Um, right. But the bulk of the work, so 40% from electricity ratepayers, about another 40% or so, Don, from both the federal and provincial governments. And we combine... And, and for, for, so for yeah. our listeners, you know, how much are they, uh, on average, supporting efficiency work through their electric bill, just for context? Do you have, do you yeah, have so an idea? Yeah, it depends on, of course, you know, your rate class. But the average residential customer, it's about 5 to $6.00. Um, a bill. Okay, thanks. So you've talked a little bit, Stephen, about some of the projects or work that you're doing as an organization, but can you dive a little deeper for us and give us an example of some of the specific uh, initiatives underway? You talked about oil heat earlier. Uh, what what are you uh, working on right now when it comes to residential or, or even industrial or commercial uh, segments of the economy? Yeah, so we'll start off with our work uh, through Efficiency Nova Scotia on the residential side. Um, so maybe I'll back up just a little bit. The basic uh, premise is that um, we provide you with some type of incentive, usually a financial incentive, but it could be another incentive, to encourage or nudge you to make a change. And the change being, you know, you make your home or your business or your building more energy efficient. And so on the residential side, um, so some examples are programs. We have something called the home energy assessment. This is an energy audit of your home uh, to determine where uh, improvements can be made. So think of things like insulation. Um, uh, once the work is done, uh, the, when the insulation is installed, an auditor will come back and do a post audit of your home, measure the improvement in your savings. We will provide some funding to help offset the cost of the audit and we'll provide you with an incentive to help offset the cost of the insulation if that was the measure put in. That's that's our most um, popular program on the residential side. Um, we do about 2,000 homes in Nova Scotia in the run of a year, just to put in context. Um, mm -hmm. A couple of other examples, we have something called Appliance Retirement. That's a service that will uh, pick up an appliance, such as a fridge, um, if it's being replaced by a newer, more efficient model. Um, there's a small financial incentive for the customer, usually about $30. But the most popular part of this incentive is the actual pickup and recycling of the old fridge. Um, mm. Dealing with an old fridge is, you know, it's difficult. Um, so the incentive is the pickup itself, and customers love that program. Uh, we have a program for low-income homeowners called Home Warming. So income-qualified homeowners receive energy efficiency upgrades. So again, insulation draft proofing at no cost to them. Uh, on the commercial side, we have a small business program. We offer financial incentives for things like energy-efficient heating and cooling equipment, lighting. Uh, commercial equipment, commercial washing machines. So often these incentives are based on the technology that's putting 
being put in place and um, will, of course, adjust the incentives based on market conditions and the evolution of the technology as well. So we always want to stay a little bit ahead. So we're encouraging the most efficient technology uh, for manufacturing businesses. Uh, so manufacturing businesses by their nature are somewhat unique. So we'll provide funding uh, for a scoping or feasibility study um, to identify where the greatest energy efficiency opportunities are. And then if the organization or the business moves forward with a project, we'll provide some incentive to offset or help with the cost of that project itself. Um, we have other programs that train employees about energy efficiency practices. Uh, you know, we, we very much think of these as our custom offerings for businesses. Um, I'll mention a couple other programs. We have a, a partnership with uh, Mi'kmaq communities here in the province, something called the Mi'kmaq Home Energy Efficiency Project. Um, it's for upgrading band-owned homes. Uh, communities determine themselves which homes will be upgraded. And wherever possible, uh, we work with community-preferred contractors to do the work. Um, so upgrades uh, include things like draft-proofing, uh, insulation, heat pumps. Um, and um, we also have a page on our website for this program that's in the Mi'kmaq language. And uh, we're starting to change some of our marketing materials as well. Uh, we have a really unique program. Uh, called on-site energy managers. So these are energy specialists that are placed directly with larger users of energy. Um, there are employees, uh, but they're embedded with the customer. So that um, so that individual we place, they have the, the expertise and the knowledge and the time specifically dedicated to efficiency. And that is a form of incentive. And so these individuals help identify projects. They prepare business cases. They do internal presentations. Um, they help identify sources of fundings that might write uh, RFPs or they might find contractors to assist with the project implementation. So we have about 15 of these individuals around the province. Again, it's larger users of energy. So think hospitals, universities, larger manufacturing locations, a couple of municipalities. And, and two of the more interesting uh, embedded uh, people we have are for the agriculture and fishing industries. And so they would travel around the province and work with individual farms, for example, or fish processors to identify and support um, energy efficiency projects. On the um, Halifax Climate Investment Innovation Impact Funds, or HCI3, uh, we have a couple of components to that. One is a grant program. There's a project investment component. Uh, this year, we um, issued 11 grants uh, for a total of $500,000 in the Halifax area to implement projects uh, that focus on greenhouse gas uh, reductions. Um, so a couple of examples. Uh, one was a feasibility study to determine um, how historic African Nova Scotia communities can benefit from uh, shared solar projects. So think community solar. Um, another is a shared electric vehicle pilot project. And so uh, this particular initiative will lease a used electric vehicle and install a charger at a multi-unit residential building. And the project will include engagement with the tenants on how to use the EV, as well as the ability to book through an online system. And another example was a feasibility study for solar and storage for electric vehicles and condos. And so this is the integration of solar battery technologies, technology, solar thermal in some cases, EV chargers, and um, possibly combined heat and power into the heating and electrical system of an 83-unit a condo building. And so again, these are projects that um, are somewhat unique and need some funding to get off the ground. 
I particularly like the shared EV project. I think we have to do a lot of work to educate the public about EVs. There's a there's just a dearth of knowledge there, except for these early adopters that you see on the road. But the, for the rest of us, we have no idea what <laughs> it means in terms of insulation in our home, in terms of the winter, in terms of the battery going, you know, uh, depleting faster in the winter, all of that. So I, th- I really appreciate you that you're doing that. We've got a series of questions we want to ask you about the economic impacts of the organization. But the first one is, can you tell us about your specific uh, economic footprint, how many employees you have, what's your specific annual budget, and then we'll we'll follow that up with questions about how you leverage that into, into greater impacts. Yeah, for sure. So we have about 150 employees, uh, plus our on-site energy managers, which I just spoke about. Um, I, I think it's important to point out that we are an administrator. So we design and we market programs, we do research, um, we provide technical and other customer support. We oversee contractors. And, um, and you know, of course, we have some of the more traditional functions of human resources and finance. Um, our annual budget is in the neighborhood of about $115 million. Um, I mentioned earlier about 40% of that um, is from the electricity system or electricity demand side management. Uh, the remainder comes from both uh, levels of government, the province and the federal government. Um, I, you know, I think an important part... To, important point to note about our economic footprint um, is that um, the, the impact is not so much from Efficiency One's employee base, but from the impact of our partners. So in the very early days, the board of directors made a decision to leverage the model we have to have the greatest economic impact. And so, you know, which we believe is having private sector companies do the actual work. And hopefully they will grow and they will expand and they will begin exporting their services. And we've seen several examples of that. Uh, We work with uh, some 300 partners from across the province. Uh, They employ directly um, about 2,600 people. And so, again, that's not counting all the other partners that they work and other um, spinoffs. That's where I think the real economic footprint and impact uh, comes from and those companies exporting their services. Yeah, so uh, just a, a little bit more on your budget spending. So the $100 million, 115, I think you said, uh, budget that you have, how much is going directly into um, energy efficiency uh, based on your efforts? So it's all um, used, if you will, for energy efficiency. <clears throat> I think mm-hmm. maybe, Don, what you're getting at is incentives to customers. Um, yeah. And yeah. so roughly about 65% of that flows directly as incentives to customers. Okay. All right. Uh, and, and you also mentioned uh, I, that you, you work with about 300 partners. Uh, have you ever done an economic impact study, um, by the way? I mean, you mentioned the number of employees and stuff like that, but obviously the, you know, your impact of spending $100 million plus is a lot more in terms of uh, local employment and um, their spending as well. Have you, have you done any economic impact study of the bigger picture? You know, we, we did one a number of years ago. And so yeah. probably seven, eight years ago, uh, we really haven't updated it since. Um, and yeah. uh, honestly, I can't remember the numbers exactly. Um, yeah. It's time probably for us to do another economic impact study or for someone else to take on that task because it yeah. certainly has grown no, since that time. 
Well, you know, the, the thing is, is that your partners are all over the province, right? Yeah. So the economic impact is province-wide, and there would be, uh, you know, I just did a presentation to the Rens a week ago, and, um, you know, uh, you're impacting what they do through your partner's program. And, and speaking of partners, uh, you know, uh, you basically are qualifying people you're not recommending individuals, but you're saying, you know, if you're looking for people to do this kind of work, here are the list in your zone or your region, right? So you're 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 qualifying them on behalf of uh, your your clients, and, um, and so can you tell us about that process a little bit? Because I think that that's really important that that you're basically taking the the, the work of finding the right person uh, out of the out of the picture. How's that working? Well, I think it's working quite well. And uh, we do have a few partners that work directly for us on some programs, but the vast mm-hmm. majority is how you described it. And I look, I mm-hmm. think it works really, really well. Um, so that 300 partners, uh, one of the things we track is where they are located around the province. And uh, right. you know, as both of you know, the population and economic base of the province is in the Halifax region. Um, about half of those companies are located outside of Halifax. And uh, we have a used to have a little map around the office here with dots on it to show where the companies were located. Uh, the number of yeah. companies have grown, and so we've run out of space on the map. But it um, it does cover the entire province, um, and so the work really is local. Um, and I have to say that the the, um, the type of work is um, is quite wide ranging. And so you know you you have companies like engineering firms, and so an engineering firm might do a project feasibility or a scoping study or project management. Um, you have architects and other building design specialists. So someone who's certified in passive house uh, design, um, electricians are a big part of the work. I've uh, got mechanical and HVAC system installers, um, lots of general contractors. So think about doing things like insulation. Um, we have solar installers. The solar industry has really uh, taken off in this province. Uh, we have people that are uh, trained, in energy management. And so this is a, a bit of a specialty if you think about like building controls and energy optimization. Um, but you also have companies across the province distributing and selling energy efficient equipment. And so in addition to people that are doing the work from a service perspective, you have companies just selling product. And so selling the lighting, selling the lighting controls, uh, the sensors, uh, pumping uh, technology. So um, it's amazing the efficiency benefits you can get from a more efficient uh, pump. Um, heat pumps are very popular these days. There are energy auditors. And so it is uh, quite um, is quite wide ranging. And then there's other companies that support the work we do. Uh, marketing, for example, uh, is a, a pretty important part of convincing people to make upgrades. And so we work with a number of really creative agencies in doing that. So on an annual basis, how many individual projects would you support? How many residential or commercial or industrial? Are we talking hundreds and hundreds or what, what's the annual number of projects? So it's, um, it's hard to put a, a total on it because of the, the wide variety of projects. But let me give you some examples and um, maybe put it in context a bit. It's, um, it's definitely in the thousands. And so um, I mentioned earlier home energy assessment. Uh, someone gets an audit done, you make changes. So we had about 2,000 people. We have about 2,000 homes go through that program annually. Um, we have a program that does uh, what we call direct installation of energy-efficient products. So someone might go to a home or apartment or a business and um, install lighting, for example. So almost 15,000 um, units move through that program. So that's not a 
homes or businesses. That's just the number of products, if you will. Um, about 900 homes went through something called new home construction. So these are new homes that are being built in the province, went through programs. Um, I mentioned appliance retirement, picking up old fridges. Um, about 5,900 homes participate in that. So again, just to give mm -hmm. you a sense of volume, um, uh, you know, we've done just under a thousand homes in our low income uh, programs. So it is, I mean, it is quite substantial. 1,600 homes participated in um, our solar projects. We did uh, about 150 what we call custom projects with um, commercial industrial companies. So again, it doesn't necessarily fit nicely into a total number of projects, but just to give you a sense of scale. So uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you make the business case for residents. How do you encourage them to, to, to look at efficiency? According to Stats Canada, when we look at the rest of the country, households in Nova Scotia spend about 50% more of their household income on energy in the home. So that's all forms, all fuels and electricity. And I noticed this week that Premier Houston was very adamant on social media about his uh, frustration with the federal government around charging carbon tax on uh, home heating oil because Nova Scotians are so, and I think that's what it was, maybe you can correct me on that, but Nova Scotians, about a third of homes or a little over 30% of homes still use uh, home heating oil. And so I guess the, the question for you is, is when you're out there sort of promoting your programs, I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised you don't even get more uptake. In other words, why wouldn't everybody, you know, jump in because of the, the, the significant costs that, that uh, energy is for the, for the typical household in Nova Scotia? So we are definitely seeing more uptake in programs and the price of energy uh, does impact program participation. So there is a relationship there. Um, in terms of how we... Um, you know, we make the business case for people to do projects. Um, we very much tailor the message based on who we're talking to and what we are trying to get them to do. Um, you know, it's always very much framed around the financial and other benefits that the customer will receive from doing an efficiency project. So um, on the residential side, generally we focus on energy and bill savings, plus better air quality and comfort. Um, you'll see that kind of messaging in our marketing, if you will. On the on the business side, you know, we'll focus on things like lower operational costs. We'll focus on payback periods from the investment. Um, you know, we'll talk about and give examples of projects we've done that have resulted in improved safety. It's amazing when you upgrade lighting to energy efficient lighting, have it properly installed. Um, it creates a, you know, a, a better, more well-lit environment. And, um, you know, employees love that. Um, but, you know, we're also increasingly seeing companies set internal sustainability targets. And so whether that's, you know, they're, they're trying to lower their environmental footprint because of ESG commitments, or perhaps they're a larger emitter and they want to avoid increasing prices on carbon emissions, or sometimes, you know, their employees are demanding that their employer be more environmentally responsible. So energy efficiency is one of the fastest and lowest risk ways to reduce emissions. And that's very attractive to a number of businesses. And of course it saves money at the same time. Um, in terms of making the business case, uh, we have a lot of data and um, we're getting more data every time we do a project. But as the electricity system in particular um, uh, gathers more data, we have access to that. And so what we can do is we use that data to market to our customers and it's becoming an increasingly important part of what we do. It helps us uh, become more effective in our marketing and I would say more efficient as well. Um, so just to give you an example of this, we can profile the energy use um, and uh, savings opportunity of a multi-unit residential building in Truro uh, without 
ever having to visit the site. Um, and so that makes our interaction with the building owner much more effective. But if that person owns a number of buildings, we can model their entire portfolio, which can then be used for aggregated financing or you know the acquisition of things like central monitoring system. Again, we can do all of this without ever actually having visited the building. And so the extent that we can use data is going to grow in the future. And I think that's just going to provide more value to customers. I wanted to ask you if you have an assessment of the total impact of efficiency one since it was established. Um, you know, let, let me give you an example. You, you talked about reducing the need to build energy, electricity capacity. Do you have any idea how, how much has been saved in terms of the need to build new capacity? Yeah, it's in the billions, uh, Don. I don't have the number exactly at my fingertips, but let me give you some stats that I think would be helpful around this uh, impact piece. And so over the last 10 years, um, since efficiency has been around, about 25% of all the greenhouse gases that have been avoided in Nova Scotia have been as a result of energy efficiency. And so about 25%. Um, you know, if you, if you think about all these efficiency projects that are happening and you think about Nova Scotia as being one big energy bill, so that bill today is about $1.5 billion lower because of energy efficiency. And so I just want to be clear in how I'm describing this. That's not cumulative savings. That's the savings today. And so because savings from energy efficiency come immediately when a project is completed, they also come year after year. So insulation can last anywhere from 25 to 40 years. The cumulative number would be some massive number, but the savings this year are about $1.5 billion. And that's real money that people are not paying because of energy efficiency. Um, so those are you know, you know, probably two stats that I often point to to give a sense of the context, context and impact of energy efficiency. Mm. Yeah, those are, those are impressive numbers for sure. And um, um, that's why we do this podcast. People don't understand impacts of organizations like yours and, um, you know, the important role that you, you are playing in, uh, in the energy field. Uh, regulatory oversight, as you mentioned, is provided by the Nova Scotia Utility and Review Board. And you've already mentioned that that scrutiny is a benefit um, for you because it, it holds you to a higher level of accountability. Uh, but can you tell us a little bit more about their role and what are they looking for to measure in terms of results? Because I know you do audits. Uh, maybe you can talk about that part a little bit more specifically. Yeah, for sure. So the uh, role of the Utility Review Board, um, they have a number of roles. So they approve our demand side management plans that we file. Again, demand side management plans are similar to a rate application. Um, they determine whether energy efficiency is cost effective. And so again, whether the financial benefits from the investment in energy efficiency are greater than the cost of the investment itself. Um, they approve things like our inter-affiliate code of conduct. And so that governs transactions between the regulated side of our business and our work with Efficiency One Services or HCI3. Uh, the premise here is that the regulated entity uh, should not be subsidizing non-regulated activities. It's um, These codes of conduct are very common when you have regulated entities owned by companies with multiple holdings or activities. Um, they also review our quarterly reports and our annual financial statements. Um, they order other studies. And so a few years ago, they ordered a study of how we set incentive levels. Um, 
And the last point I think we touched on a little bit, Don, is they they accept or they approve our energy savings results. And so what that means is that the regulator, they need to establish that our incentives or our intervention was required in order for the customer to make an energy efficiency upgrade. And so there's a concept in our business uh, called free ridership. And this means that someone would have made the energy efficiency upgrade regardless of our incentive. So let me give you an example of a restaurant has plans to install more energy efficient uh, commercial equipment and we gave them a financial incentive to help with the, help with the cost. Well, if they would have purchased that same equipment without our help, they're a free rider and they didn't need our incentive and those savings would not get counted as part of our energy savings targets. So the regulator wants to make sure that our incentive was absolutely necessary and there's an accepted methodology for evaluating and measuring energy savings that's done by third parties and it's filed with and it's reviewed by the regulator and ultimately the regulator has to accept and agree that the level of savings we say we are delivering, we are in fact delivering them. Interestingly, there's another concept, something called spillover, uh, whereby an incentive that we offer has caused an unintended action of more savings. Um, so for example, um, a homeowner might buy a heat pump and receive an incentive from us to purchase a high efficiency or cold climate heat pump. And so they tell their neighbor, you know, a few months later about how much energy they're saving from the heat pump. The neighbor runs out and buys the same model of heat pump without ever reaching out to us or, you know, looking for an incentive. So we would get, we would get credit for the neighbor savings as spillover from the first incentive that we gave. And so that's a little bit of an oversimplification on my part, but hopefully it illustrates the point. And so this measurement and evaluation of savings is hugely important. We'd like to uh, end the interview today, Stephen, with a few questions at the more higher level, at the strategic level, or or, or trying to look economy-wide, uh, the bigger picture. So can you give us a sense of where energy efficiency fits in the larger picture of net zero carbon emissions by 2050? For example, you know, in Quebec, everything is hydro, and so there's not a whole lot of carbon emission reduction gains from energy efficiency. There's other gains, but if your grid is entirely green and all your houses are uh, heated by electricity, then the, then there's not a lot of carbon emissions associated with that. So some might argue in Nova Scotia, we should put all our effort into, into the grid, greening the grid and less in efficiency, although you've got a lot of homes that are heating with fuels and not electricity. So I guess just at a strategic level, where does energy efficiency fit in vis-a-vis these other efforts to to reduce carbon emissions, such as uh, greening the grid, getting rid of uh, um, coal-fired electricity, and, and other uh, other efforts? So, where where do you see energy efficiency in that mix? Well, you know, I've been asked this question a number of times, and um, you know, the question around if we reduce fossil fuels from our electricity system or from our usage, why do we need energy efficiency? And so, here's what I tell people. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that it's technically possible to get to net zero by 2050 without energy efficiency or with not much energy efficiency, but it will be very expensive and it'll be more expensive than it needs to be. And in my opinion, not affordable. It adds uh, more risk and uncertainty to the transition and it's vulnerable populations. So low income or other marginalized groups that will suffer the most and the transition to net zero will not be equitable. So if you think about the, you know, the transition that needs to happen in Nova Scotia, but I think the case in all Atlantic provinces, it's going to require our electricity systems 
to move off of fossil fuels to being based on renewable energy. And some of that will be intermittent, such as wind. It's going to require the electrification of our transportation systems. And it's going to require that all the fossil fuels we use for building and heating and cooling. And again, Atlantic Canada, that's primarily residential homes heated by oil. It's going to require them to move to either electricity, which will hopefully will have been uh, converted to renewable sources or some other type of on-site or distributed energy, uh, renewable energy, such as like solar or community solar. So there's major, major capital investments that are required. And in some cases, you know, large projects, mega projects, which can take a lot of time. There's a lot of regulatory approvals required. You know, some of the initiatives that are being discussed involve multiple provinces. There's First Nations to consult, landowners involved. Um, the, you know, in my view, these are very necessary projects to help us get to net zero. But energy efficiency can help make sure that we're only building out the infrastructure that's necessary. And, and energy efficiency also has the benefit in that it can help with the integration of intermittent renewables, so again, such as wind, and help manage new sources of load, such as transportation. And so, you know, you think about, we're going, to, we're going to have to charge all of those batteries and vehicles, and perhaps even boats. There's some really interesting things happening around the electrification of fishing vessels. And so soon we'll be at the point where bi-directional charging, actually using those vehicles to provide value to the grid, there'll be a resource to the electricity grid and energy efficiency and managing that demand can all help with that transition and make it happen at a lower cost. And I would also argue faster and with considerably fewer risks. I just want to talk a little bit about a high percentage of homes in Nova Scotia that use oil as their primary heating uh, source. I guess it's only second to PEI among the 10 provinces. Uh, um, in, it's close to 40%. I think last time I looked, uh, maybe lower a little bit now. Uh, and, and clearly, uh, the federal government has targeted this uh, with their recent announcement of their uh, investment to help conversion of uh, home heated, uh, uh, homes heated by oil. It's a big. It's a big job. We also have the uh, further challenge of uh, really quite an old housing stock based on twenty-one census. You know, with half our homes uh, at least forty years old, and in some communities like Digby and Yarmouth and New Glasgow, seventy percent at least 70, 40 years old. So, you know, this is a this is the big challenge right now. Is how quickly we can convert these old uh, heated homes. Um, and I wanted to ask you, uh, businesses too, obviously any business, but what do you see as the, you know, the pace, I guess, that this could actually happen, Stephen, because this is, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that has a home that's heated by oil. Uh, you know, I have a particular challenge because it's in floor heating, so it's not easy to find a substitute, but I want to do it. Definitely, but I just have to find the right solution. But so, you know, what what's the timetable for us to get off oil to heat our homes? Yeah, so I think um, a couple of things, uh, Don. And um, after we finish the uh, interview, maybe you could give me a call and we can help you out with that uh, oil transition. So good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so look, a couple of things here. Uh, we can do it um, relatively quickly, but it's going to take you know um, a couple of years to do that. And um, I think we should also be thinking about this transition off of oil as a transition and not a uh, flip of the switch, if you will. So you describe your own situation. Um, mm. that, that is uh, one of the more challenging situations to uh, 
uh, remove oil from the equation, if you will. Um, there are lots of situations where a heat pump can be installed in a home. Um, insulation can be upgraded, uh, perhaps new windows, uh, draft proofing, and that will dramatically reduce your oil usage. Now, you still may need that for your situation for um, backup heating or in the floors, or maybe you know use a have an oil fired for fired burner for your uh, hot water heating. But just those simple measures that I mentioned will get you a long way to off oil, and so that can be done relatively quickly, completely off mm. oil. Some of the more difficult circumstances like the one you just described for yourself, that'll take a bit more time. Um, you know, the housing stock in the province is older, but I think the good news here is that uh, we've been at this for a while. And, uh, you know, we I mentioned, I think that uh, we, we do about 2,000 homes a year upgrades. Um, our partners um, in particular, they have experience retrofitting these older homes. Like we, we've done it for quite a number of years now and we know how to do it. And uh, the partners we work with, they're, they're just excellent. They understand older homes. They understand the weak points, right? They understand, uh, you know, how these homes are constructed. I'm sure that they've seen more seaweed in walls of homes than they'd ever cared to remember. <laughs> Thirty more seaweed than they've seen on a beach. So they're experienced at it. And so it's it's not a new challenge for us or for the partners. What I think is, um, you know, what I think is very important is that the right policy context is provided so that it can be an equitable transition off oil. And those that are using oil now particularly at home for home heating, that they're able to do that transition in a manner that doesn't put them at a disadvantaged position. So I think it can be done. It's not, it's not one year, it's a few years, but I think we can get there. So I'm going to push you a little bit, yeah. a few years. What does that mean in your, is that five years? In five years, well, think, we'll have most people half oil? Yeah, think? so I think we, we can do it in five years, Don. Okay, okay. It's, it's going to require some other things to happen for it to be done in five years. Right. Thanks. Yeah, because it's a lot of those folks are lower income or they're seniors, and there's a you know not a tremendous but a fairly significant cost to do that conversion. And as you indicated, if you're doing that in conjunction with windows and insulation and other things, it could be you know ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars or more to do these kind of retrofits. And you're talking about you know several what a couple hundred thousand homes and businesses. I don't know the numbers, but anyway, it's a big challenge. I just Stephen, just a, a follow up question on that. Is your organization tasked with getting that done? So when the feds come in and say they want to get rid of heating oil by 2030 or 2035, whenever it is, is it your organization in Nova Scotia that is mandated to see those objectives reached? Yeah, for the most part, David. Um, we've worked really closely with the federal government in helping to deliver programs or other policy objectives that, uh, that they want put in place. And so I've mentioned some of our funding comes from the federal government. And so uh, they really recognize the benefits of the all fuels, one window administrator model for energy efficiency, and it can be used for other things. And so those policy objectives like getting off oil, we've been at the center of that, and I don't see that slowing down at all. So I appreciate actually that, that that's a pretty unique thing about your organization that's valuable, this this all fuels, electricity and so on, because somebody like NB Power, for example, in New Brunswick, and I know they have a lot of demand side management pieces, but if tomorrow they, you know, the 15,000 homes or 20,000 homes that are heated by oil, if they that disappeared, it would just add to their peak load and create problems at the grid level. So it is interesting that you've got the mandate for all of the different uh, energy sources. 
So I have uh, one last question, and it's a bit, again, at the strategic level, and it's something that's been bothering me, so I apologize to you and Don, too, for me throwing in my own sort of uh, issue here. But I thought because your organization is out in the communities, you work all across the province, you might be able to help me with this question. Even with your very aggressive energy efficiency efforts, you're going to need more electricity in the coming years as we electrify you know, heating, as we electrify the transportation system and so on. So there's debate and discussion about how much electricity, but we're, I think we can all agree we're going to need more. I'm concerned about the grid and the, the distribution infrastructure itself. Like, do we have the wires? Do we have the capacity? Do we have the, the substations? Do we have the, the, the last mile infrastructure to allow for this uh, substantial ex expansion of electricity? Or are we talking about, you know, potentially billions of dollars needed at the at the wires level to upgrade the grid and the transportation system across the province? So do you have any thoughts based because you're out there in the communities, you understand what's going on at the community level. Do you have any thoughts about about what it would take to get the grid and the distribution and transportation infrastructure up to snuff, uh, you know, all, all the way to Yarmouth, all the way to Cape Breton, all the way around the province. And uh, do you have any sense of what that might cost us? So I, I don't have a number specifically around that, David, but I can tell you that without a significant contribution from energy efficiency, it'll be much higher than it needs to be. And so you're right. The grid today um, isn't at the state it needs to be to handle the new load that's coming, but it can get there and it can get there with what I think needs to be strong policy leadership from government. Um, there needs to be really, really engaged partners that are key to the transition. And so think of our electricity utilities, uh, but it's more than that. So it's um, the Big Ma community, it's groups representing low income and other equity seeking groups. Um, it's regulatory bodies, uh, both um, well, here in this province, but other, other land provinces, it's at the federal level. It requires cooperation from municipal, provincial, and federal governments. Um, and it's going to take a lot of innovation from companies that are developing everything from software to help manage the grid edge to retrofitting fishing vehicles. So I guess that's my way of saying the, the grid we need in the future needs to involve conversations and discussions and contributions from many, many, many parties and um, to make sure that we can handle that load. If we're going to get to net zero, if we're going to reduce emissions, we need an electricity grid that is strong and robust and can handle the new generation. And you know, all of this, we're talking about conditions that we know today. Um, in 20, 30 years, we know that the impacts of climate change will be even more severe. And so the storms that you know we are seeing more um, frequently, and so I'm um, thinking of Fiona recently here hit the province and uh, Prince Edward Island in Newfoundland, there'll be more of those storms. And so we need a grid that is resilient to that, to the impacts of climate change. So I, it, it will take a lot of work. I do think it's possible, but I think it needs to have a lot of voices at the table contributing to that discussion and contributing to the planning of what that grid of the future looks like. Just one quick follow-up for you, Stephen, because you mentioned earlier the sort of managing load and demand-side management. Are you doing anything on the sort of smart grid side, like smart meters? Is, is that part of the future in, in Nova Scotia? Like, how are you going to do that to make sure that that the, the you're optimizing the you know when the I don't know when the dryers are running when the EVs are being charged like any are you working on that at all? We are. We have programs for that now, and we're working on designing even new programs. Um, and so making sure um, 
demand on the system is used at um, what I'll call the most optimal times. And, and so that becomes more important with, um, you know, more intermittent renewables come on the system. Um, you know, we're, we're, we are with the customer today and we are with the users. And so we already have programs in place to help shift that demand, help manage the demand. But that's even going to become even more important as you start, you know, adding things like electric vehicles, for example. And so when those vehicles are charged or potentially using those batteries in the car for um, supporting the system. And so we work really closely with Nova Scotia Power in designing those. Uh, we have a really unique relationship, as I mentioned, with customers already. When we're going into a building, whether that's a home or an office building or other commercial facility, not only can we do an incent energy efficiency upgrades, but we, at the same time, we can put in place controls to help manage and shift demand and then evolve that into incentives to use energy at particular points in time. And so again, to help manage the grid. And um, I mentioned earlier, I think a, a little bit ago about the data that we have and the data that we use, we're developing systems to be able to provide that information to customers directly to help manage that, uh, that load. So it's, it's critical to the future. And in fact, I, you know, energy efficiency, the technologies will change over the years and get better, but I think, you know, an increasingly larger part of our focus will be on uh, how electricity is used and when it's used. And so that whole demand management piece. Well, Stephen, thank you uh, for joining us uh, today on the Insights Podcast and giving us a, really an excellent overview of the work that you're doing and, and the impact that you're having. I think that will, that will inform a lot of our listeners uh, about your work. And uh, we want to wish you continued success in, in your efforts to promote energy efficiency and, and contribute to getting to net zero by 2050. Okay, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. Mark Legere helped produce this episode. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week.